Welcome to A Thousand Tiny Steps. I'm Barb Higgins, and in this podcast, I'll share personal stories of great joy and tragedy and the steps that brought me there. I have become adept at tracing them backward to find the origin of an event, good or bad, that has affected my life. I have gone from being on top of the world with Division I All-American success to being unable to get out of bed with the grief of losing a child and everything in between. I am painfully honest, which can make people uncomfortable, but discomfort brings growth and oftentimes tragedy brings joy. So tie, buckle, slip on, release up your shoes and join me as we begin our thousand tiny steps. Hey everybody, Barb Higgins here, welcoming you to episode 35 of A Thousand Tiny Steps. This is episode four in season four. And we're talking this chunk of episodes around parenting Jack. You know, he's been here a year now. Some things are settling in and some things remain new and exciting and surprising all the time. However, along with being Jack's parent, I am all the other things that I always am. And these past few days have been interesting. You'll listen to it on May 3rd, which will be thick into death week. I'll probably blog and do quite a few lives that week because so much of that is real time. But Today is Monday, April 18th, as I'm recording it. So it's Boston Marathon Day. This is a big day in my life just because when I started running in the spring of 1979, one of the first things I did as a runner was watch the Boston Marathon on TV. Now, joining track suddenly gave me a group of friends that I'd never had before, you know, high school social dynamics, and I was good at it. By the time the marathon came, it was mid-April. Track was a month long, five weeks maybe, and I had established myself as the new big surprise phenomenal runner. And I remember Mark Smith and Bob Stocking, two kids I graduated high school with, we left Concord High School and walked to my house to watch the marathon. And I believe that we had study halls and we got a pass. I don't know. But we went to my house and we watched like the start of the marathon. It used to start at noon then. It was just one start. It's much, much bigger now. We watched the marathon and Joni Benoit was the winner and she had a baseball cap on, this little Bowden shirt and running was just all new to me. But the third Monday in April, Patriots Day is Marathon Monday. And it's been that way up until COVID. And I've had a love-hate relationship with the marathon. Of course, what comes up often is the marathon in 2013 that had the bombings and the, the killing of innocent people, including a child. You know, child death now means a lot more to me than it did then because I hadn't lost a child at that time. There are lots of emotions around the marathon. Another thing that's going on right now is I have had foot surgery. I am in a cast. I'm going to put my foot up here. I chose the Ukrainian flag colors. Although four days ago, five days ago, when I had the cast put on, I chose pink and green for Molly and Rachel. I had some issues with the cast, which I will get into. But functioning on crutches and in a cast brings me right back to when Molly was two. I had this very same surgery in 2005. So Molly had just turned two. So I had a two-year-old and a four-year-old. <laughs> and I'm having this, this surgery and, and I had to hobble around and I was on crutches in this very room, actually. We had different furniture. And it was difficult, but, you know, Molly was a year older than Jack is now. So it was a very, very different sort of beast around the house. Having a baby is incredibly difficult in a cast. But I've done this before, and it's the same surgery, and it's early on in my new child's life. And so sometimes I feel like I'm rewriting history, which brings me, of course, back to everything that you read about when you function in a traumatized reality, you recreate things, hoping it will be different. And so I think, okay. What am I recreating here with the baby and the foot surgery and, you know, the chaotic household and all that sort of thing? Externally speaking, there is a lot in play and a lot in place for moms and babies and families that didn't exist when I was raising Gracie and Molly. And to me, that seems like yesterday. 
But I realize now how quickly time changes. When I was 21, Gracie's age, and I thought back to my childhood, it seemed forever ago and things seemed so basic and, and they were. So I look back to Gracie and Molly and when, when Gracie and Molly were born, cell phones were really, really brand new. You still used your home phone, your landline, most of the time. You only ever used a cell phone when you weren't away from the house. And I remember when people first started getting rid of their telephones, I still have a landline and it's completely for 911 because when you dial 911, your address comes up right away. And I'm not sure if that works that way for cell phones or not. It didn't. And I've just, the paranoid me wants to know I can pick up my landline, call 911 if I need to. So here I am sitting here trying to get this podcast recorded, this episode. And the basic gist of today's episode is just things that I notice now or that I have access to now that didn't exist for mothers when I was having and raising Gracie and Molly. And probably the biggest thing is internet, easy access to the internet. Now, let me be clear. I was still teaching at Walker School. Molly hadn't even been conceived yet, you know, or born, neither of them. When, when the internet first became available and I remember sitting at my house, my apartment up in the tower. And this little teeny computer, we all got to take one home. It wasn't a laptop, but it was this little screen with a keyboard and dialing in, hooking your phone cord up to the computer and dialing in and being on AOL Instant Messenger. And you could talk to people back and forth on the computer. Now, it was just amazing to me that somebody could be sitting in their living room typing on their computer and I would see it. That's how new online communication was. And as Molly and Gracie got older and I was coaching at the high school, I saw the transformation in how how tricky it was for people to navigate the fact that just because you're typing something something in the privacy of your own home doesn't mean it's private because you're putting it in a place that the whole world can see. And I think this remains true. And I think it's one of the reasons we're having so many social disruptions and issues due to COVID. Everybody was home. The way that you communicated was on your computer. It's very, very easy to insult somebody behind a username in an online setting, you know, social media setting where you may or may not be known for what you say, or you say it and put it out there and you're just safe at home. So nothing can happen to you. That would be the biggest difference between now and then. Here are the positives. I have a question about anything. I can just, hey, Siri. And she'll say, can I help you? And then she helps me. I remember Gracie got really sick. She, she could nurse and be fine. If she drank milk out of a bottle, frozen breast milk, she threw it up. I threw away probably 80 ounces of breast milk thinking I had contaminated the milk somehow. I had a book, The Womanly Art of Breastfeeding, which is a wonderful book. I had to find it, which I did, went into the index, looked, you know, just Googled vomiting, found the answer to my question. Now, it didn't take me long at all, but there were steps I had to, I had to think of the, where would I find an answer? There was no Googling anything. Google it is a term that didn't exist until Gracie and Molly were well into elementary school. So it took me a while to find the book, look in the index, find the page, read the page, read the two or three different reasons she might be throwing up and realize Eggs have an enzyme in them, and, and it's a difficult enzyme for babies to process. Kenny and I at that time had just started the Schwartzbein diet. It's a very, very high protein, probably similar to keto type thing. We eat a lot of meat and eggs. And I was eating piles of eggs, and poor Gracie couldn't process the enzyme, and so, so she vomited the breast milk from the bottle. My milk coming right out of me was fine, but the one breakdown process between my milk in my boobs and my milk in a bottle was enough to make her sick. So I threw away all this perfectly good milk. I stopped eating the eggs and she stopped getting sick. But that right there, that right there is an example of, okay, Google is great. You can just ask your phone and there's the answer in a millisecond. The bad thing is, is it takes away the whole process of finding out an answer. And as an educator, an elementary school educator and a teacher who often dealt with special ed kids, developing the ability to follow the steps is important. 
I'll use multiplication as an example. I had a student with autism and actually I had a daughter, Molly, who could do complex multiplication in their head. My student with autism, when I asked him, how did he know that answer? Did he do the problem in his head? He said, no, that he just looked at it in his head and saw the answer already there. So he didn't go through any process. Molly could do it in her head, but she did it in her head. I could see her eyes moving as she went through the process of multiplication and carrying the numbers and all of this. She could just see it as she did it in her head. It's like she had a pencil in her brain. So she still had the steps. So some of that's a bit different, but I am a firm believer that sometimes the steps that you learn are necessary for doing it at a high level later on. So like first grade math or writing, when you're scribbling things out and coloring and, and everything is very, very basic, is a huge, huge, huge piece of the foundation upon which calligraphy is built or fine arts painting or typing without mistakes or threading a needle. You know, when you look at the basic skills that you develop as a kid to do the fine, complex skills you do as an adult, where am I going with this? We have social media, hey Siri or hey Google or whoever you talk to to answer your questions in your house, right? Doing the work for you, you're presented with an answer. You ask and here it is. And so now eliminated from the whole process are all the steps that we all know is necessary to find things out. When I was looking over my notes as to what I wanted to talk about today, executive functioning comes up. And I've talked about this before because people that live in trauma-filled lives or are dealing with trauma or extensive grief, executive functioning, the ability to organize your thoughts so that you can then organize your day, organize a room, organize a drawer, complete a complex task. All of that is a huge piece of pretty much everything we do. And Jack growing up in a world where every question is answered by just asking your phone, while very convenient and will get him great knowledge early on, it takes away the need to work, takes away needing to plant the food. So another example is mass-produced food at grocery stores. We just go down and buy what we want. We have it in an instant. So we have no emotional attachment to that food in terms of how valuable it is. If we waste it, we throw it away and go buy more. If you have to grow your food and all you have to eat is what you grow, you become very, very connected to and dependent upon the success of your garden or the health of your animals if you're going to collect eggs or, or use your animals for milk or meat. The whole breakdown of those steps to me is necessary. And I find in parenting and growing up in this generation, we're losing a lot of that. Another big thing that I noticed that I don't use is everything that you buy now for babies has the ability to preoccupy the baby enough that you don't have to do it. So let me give you some examples. I had two or three bassinets that I, that I used early on. Two of the three had a little battery thing. You put a battery in it, it would play music or it would rock back and forth on its own, taking away your need to sing to the baby or rock the crib yourself. Now, we're all very busy and, and you have a childcare center or a mother with triplets or whatever, or just a busy, busy family. And I get it. You don't always have time to sit and rock the cradle until your baby falls asleep. Getting Jack to fall asleep is one of my favorite parts of motherhood. I wouldn't want to put that onto a machine. Another thing, is these little swings and these little seats like that you can prop your babies up in and they move around in a circle like and they vibrate and it's all to distract the baby so that you don't have to. Again, I'm, I'm not passing judgment on this, but it takes away the mother's need to interact with the baby. It solves the problem mechanically. You know, there's Moby wraps where you put the baby on you and wrap all this fabric around and you can walk around carrying the baby. Then you have contact with the baby and connection. Again, not for everybody. And actually, I didn't have good luck with the Moby wrap. It was very uncomfortable for me. I just do everything with one hand. I carry Jack and I do things with the other hand and I switch. So that's another one. The third one that comes to mind right away. Now I had baby monitors, little, little 
speakers in the bedroom. So if Gracie were upstairs sleeping and she started to cry and made noise, I could hear her. But there are like programs now that you can watch your baby sleep. There's a camera, which is all fine, like on your phone or on an iPad and hear them. I know people in my life that set all that up and their baby's asleep in a bedroom upstairs and they like leave the house or leave the hotel room and lock the door and look at their sleeping baby on the iPad as they walk down to eat dinner. There's nothing rational to me about that. Now, I'm old fashioned. Maybe I'll take some criticism or heat for this. I have no problem sitting at my kitchen table looking at an iPad with my baby on it asleep upstairs. I get it. That's incredibly helpful. If I had to do gardening, I could, I could potentially, you know, be right outside the house and, and do gardening, which I think you could be anyway with a sleeping baby, especially if that baby's in a crib. But the vast amount of machinery, room darkening shades, make the room pitch black and put a white noise machine on or ocean sounds so that your baby sleeps. Well, okay. But in my mind, that just means your baby's always going to need a pitch black room and ocean sounds to fall asleep. I know lots of families that use these and they're very successful. A family comes to mind in particular, their kids take a two to three hour nap every day, all the time. They have that break as parents where they can either take a nap, but you go from a bright sunny day to a pitch black room to a white noise machine or ocean sounds. And I don't know, this is all very, very, I just feel like there are certain things that it's nice that we have technology for, but in terms of me as a mother, my arms, my breath, my voice, my breast, my rocking back and forth, me, is the way that I want Jack to fall asleep. Does that mean he's going to grow up dependent on me? Perhaps. Molly and Gracie were both family bed kids and their independence never suffered. They had a very secure daily routine. These are things I notice is different. And I know in talking about it that I sound very judgmental about it. I will say this. You moms out there and dads and big sisters and grandparents and people that end up raising kids or being around babies, you have to make it work for you. What makes you a healthy, good mother is what will make your baby a healthy, good baby. And healthy means all of it, well-fed, well-nourished, well-rested. And you have to have a routine that works for your life. But raising a child is just so gray. All of these trinkets are lost on me. I don't know. It's just not something that I'm used to. I, you know, (laughs) it just kind of makes me laugh. I will say the other thing that's huge is social media. And again, that comes with the double-edged sword, the good and the bad. So the good is, There are so many groups of women and men and people, whatever you like and whoever you are, you can find a group of people that are like you and like the same things. And so being an older mother, I found this this app called Peanut. You log in and you create a profile and it connects you with other women or parents in your area that are interested in the same things that you're interested in. Typical me, I signed up and everything, but I haven't followed through much on it. I have this sort of hectic, busy life. And, but I found out through this app that there are several mothers right around me with babies right around Jack's age. You know, these are women that maybe I'll stand in line with in kindergarten or men. You know, I say women a lot, but I still do find that mothering is really mostly done by the mothers, which is fine. So social media, the positive parts are all the groups. I've talked about that with my loss of Molly, that the groups and the connections I've made online through social media and websites and foundations has been phenomenal. That's the positive side. The negative side I've always been well-known in my community, but I have this podcast now. I've filmed a commercial. I'm the oldest woman in the United States last year to have a baby. So all of these things bring tremendous attention. So Jack is a very well-known baby. I was getting my cast, my first cast put on my foot the other day, and I was talking along, and the, the woman putting my cast on, oh my gosh, I know who you are. I saw you on TV. So he's, it's a well-known story. So Jack will grow up being that baby. That's who he'll grow up being. There are people that think that's a bad thing for him. Maybe it is. Maybe he'll hate it and want to disappear and be invisible. Maybe he'll love it and thrive on the attention. I know it's a conflict for Gracie sometimes because 
you know, it's all this attention that she would prefer not to have. But social media and the ability to talk to people all over the world from your living room is a huge difference from when I raised Gracie and Molly. I think I've given this example before as well. We went on a family vacation. My stepdaughter had her phone right there on her pillow all night long, and she was just attached to it in a way that I couldn't understand. I thought it was unhealthy. I'm attached to my phone the same way now. It's because this level of communication and everything that the phone does, you know, the thing I do least on it is talk on it. <laughs> you know, our kids mimic us. Little Jack-Jack can very gracefully scroll my phone. <laughs> the screen doesn't move because he can't push down hard enough yet, but he knows exactly what to do with his hand when he holds my phone and makes believe he's, he's on it. Gracie used to walk around with my old cell phone or a book or something, and she'd pick it up and she'd put it up to her ear. And if you can see me, it's, she'd hold it on her neck like I would, like when you hold this phone receiver on your ear. <laughs> no one 20 years younger than me will know what I'm talking about. But when you used to talk on the phone, you held it under your ear. The receiver was big. And so you put it under your ear so you could do the dishes or whatever when you talked on the phone. And I still talked on the phone extensively. It was my landline. I had a cordless phone so it could take it anywhere. And she picked it up one day and she went, yo, oh, hi. And so she was answering the phone. Hello. Hi. And she walked around picking up toys and putting them down and just fiddling with things and then sitting. And then she was on that fake phone for 10 minutes doing everything I did. What does Jack do? He takes my phone and scrolls it and looks at it and watches it change. So really, when I think of the more things change, the more they stay the same, it's true. The item in the hand might be different and what the object does might be different and the reason for having it might be different, but it's basically the same thing. Our kids follow what we do and we as adults and busy parents try to find ways to streamline the parenting so it's a bit easier. You know, I remember as a little girl, my mother, anything I ate was what my mother made. Baby food became big when I was a baby, but Babies just ate mashed up versions of what you ate. If it was chicken and rice for dinner, then a baby got mashed up rice and mashed up chicken. And that's what the baby had for dinner. I can remember my mother making dinner for my sister and brother in the blender for Jonathan and Johanna. You know, they can eat it with a spoon and it tastes just like what we're having. You know, it sounds horrifying now. I have a refrigerator full of little baby food packets that you can squeeze under a spoon or the babies get bigger and they can just suck the food right out of it. Easy cheesy, streamlines it completely. Is the sweet potato in the pouch better for Jack than the same one I'm, I'm going to eat for dinner? <laughs> you know, we could go on and on with these things. I do think the biggest difference in my life between raising Gracie and Molly and raising Jack is the social media. Another positive piece, and this really stems from COVID, when COVID struck and we were all relegated to home. So Gracie and Molly were born just before and just after 9-11. And so the terrorism and that, and you know, Iraq, in the war there in the Middle East and Osama bin Laden and all of these things were what was prevalent when they were babies. There's always a social angst. And I remember thinking, what kind of world did I bring them into? And quite frankly, we have a wonderful world in a lot of ways. Molly's death ushered in a whole new set of politics from 2016 to now. And we have a nation that's very divided and in great upheaval. When the enemy lives next door to you, so to speak, in my mind, that can be a bit scarier than the enemy being across an ocean. And I find that our divisive nature is very, very different. When, when Molly and Grace were born, Americans were united against an evil that was against all of us. It mattered not if you were red or blue. It mattered not if you were rich or poor. All those people that died you know, in 9-11 encompassed all aspects of us, of us as Americans, us as humans, even forget the American piece. So I look at Jack's reality and you know, we have some war building in, in Europe, the Ukraine. Well, that's fairly normal. You know, in terms of wars, they happen, they happen all the time. 
But the pandemic, you know, Jack was the perfect COVID baby because there was no physical interaction necessary to create him. It all happened in the lab. <laughs> so I laugh about that sometimes. But his reality is seeing a lot of people wearing masks. He doesn't like it when we wear them. He pulls them off. He knows what they are and knows where they go. It's a normal part of his life. And he sees that sometimes mommy has a meeting to go to and I only go into the next room and I have the meeting right here on Zoom. I have a, a group of women friends getting together tonight and we all want to meet. I was going to host it. Let's meet at my house. And two or three people couldn't come out of the 10 or so. And so if we do it on Zoom, everybody can come. So we all stay home and still have the meeting. You know, it, it's such an odd way to think about things. There's a movie called A Walk to Remember about a girl that has cancer and she she and this boy fall in love and it's a really beautiful movie. And she has a list of things she wants to do before she dies. And one of them was to be in two places at once. And so her boyfriend character drives her to a highway and she straddles the state line. So one foot's in one state and one foot's in another. She's in two places at once. I remember as a high school student, my dad telling me that at some point it's, you know, it was sort of predicted that we would be able to be in two places at once. We could be in more than one place at a time. And I thought, well, how can that be? And I sometimes think social media is how that can be. Because here I am in your iPod, iPod, boy, my old, in your iPhone, on your computer, on your car radio, whatever, wherever you're listening to this, this podcast, here I am with you. I'm talking with you and you're listening to me, but I'm doing this from my living room. Tonight, I will sit in my living room and also be joined by several other women who are sitting in their living rooms and we'll have a meeting together. I'll be home and I'll be at the meeting. This idea of life is very, very unique and different in raising Jack than it was with raising Gracie or Molly. There was never an online interaction. Everything was in person. I get a bit of nostalgia right now talking about it because I want actual interaction is so important, which takes us now to the other very big difference is Molly and Gracie did not go to childcare. They stayed here with my mother. My mother was willing to do it and she spent 60 hours a week here. So that's very different. I am insistent that Jack go and spend time away from Kenny and me, that he spends time with other babies, that he gets to watch and see and learn, that he has his struggles there. He's in a safe environment and he's loved. He will get more out of that day <laughs> than he would get all day here with me because I don't have a life that I can just shut off all day long every day and maintain the things that I'm still working on and still doing. This is me as the working mother, which now brings me to my foot surgery. I had this foot operation. So I have granny feet. They're just disgusting. And I won't, I won't show you. <laughs> so I have bunions and I had them, I had both feet operated on in 2005, thinking that was it. Well, my left foot was not good. And actually just before Molly died, I was supposed to have it operated on. I think I've mentioned that. And I had it canceled. So it got to the point now where I can't not fix it. I have a shoulder injury that I should fix. You know, I can't be in a sling and hold a baby. So this will have to wait. And I'm not sure that I'll go the surgery route anyway, but here I am in a cast on crutches. Now, when I had this surgery, I had it in February of 2005, the left foot. Then I had some stomach surgery in the summer and then I had my right foot done in November of 2005. So Molly was two, not quite three when, that was, when all that was happening. And so my day-to-day -day life was different, but I took two full weeks off from work, two weeks where I was just home. Now I wasn't in a cast, but I still had all the pins in my foot. It was just different. So I look now at my 20 year younger self and I came home from that surgery and I was on the couch. I think I actually slept down here. I was just on the couch and very immobile. For two weeks, I stayed home. I didn't go to school. Two weeks. So I'm just at the one week mark right now. And I have coached all my CrossFit classes. I've taken a student driver out driving. I've gone to the CrossFit gym myself. I haven't worked out. I've stretched and stuff. Like I'm sleeping downstairs because navigating up and down and then, and then Jack, 
I'm doing far more than I did after the surgery 20 years ago. So I'm 20 years older with a baby who's a year younger and I'm actually doing more. Now, I'm not sure that that's necessarily the best thing for my foot. I, I'm uncomfortable much of the time, but, but the dynamic is the same. I have to navigate parenting Jack and maintaining my commitments as I hobble around on crutches or a scooter. Those things ultimately, I think, are pretty much the same. Medical care, pain relievers are the same. The process I'm taking, you know, I was still nursing Molly for a good chunk of my recovery 20 years ago in that surgery. And you have to balance out what you're ingesting with what you're giving your babies through your breast milk. So all of those challenges actually just remain the same. As things get bigger, they get smaller. So now I'm going back to the more things change, the more they stay the same. So Jack's world is so much bigger already because if he were sitting here with me, and I were in a Zoom call, he could look at people, iPhones, FaceTime. You know, he, he sees people that are hundreds of miles away from him. He's traveled to several states already in his first year of life and experienced things that Molly and Gracie only ever heard about when they were old enough to go to school and learn about these things. Jack's life is very much, much bigger, but in some ways it's also much, much smaller because, because his actual interaction and face-to-face time is much smaller than Gracie and Molly's were. People just dropped by more. You know, we had the weekend and my mother comes by, but, you know, she's very respectful of my space and will always ask first before she comes, you know, what's, what's different. I can't sit here and say if there's a particular child development specialist that I agree with. There are so many theories on, on raising a child, nature versus nurture. What predispositions is your child born with? We all are born with unique personalities. And how does that affect how we're raised and interacted with by our parents? Nature versus nurture. So I would say... In terms of nature, genetically speaking, all of the things that Jack does are spot on with us as a family. He has relatives he looks like. He is gaining skills commensurate with different people in his life that have already learned these things. (laughs) I will say raising a boy is far different than raising a girl. And in a culture that looks at gender so differently, I really love to step back and just just see and look at the, the things that he's drawn to. Toys are different. That's another thing. So, and things that they can watch on TV. Molly and Gracie were all PBS kids and Barney, Disney Channel as they got a bit older. All of those things still exist. I can't find Barney on TV. I haven't looked that hard yet. I loved the Barney. What I can find are Peppa Pig, Masha the Bear, Coco Melon, and all of these are fine. I find that the animation is oversimplified. Coco Melon is great because it's just songs and music. And so they just listen and listen. And Jack, it will, it will calm him down when he's upset. And then he'll go and play and forget all about it. It's not like an episode. So I have a lot of research to do. So if y'all have suggestions on what Jack should or shouldn't watch, I know that I am far more sensitive now to what Jack is looking at and the roles, the characters in what he watches play. In all of our work on racism and any sort of bias, gender bias, you know, class bias, where, where you live or how much you make, like all the things that we judge people about, When I really step back and look at a lot of the books I read as a child and a lot of the books I read to Gracie and Molly, I can see where a lot of assumptions are made by the people that wrote and illustrated those books. So I I belong to this literati book club. It's wonderful. I get books every month, the literati. So I started because Malala does a book club and I think I've mentioned this before as well. So Jack gets these books and it's amazing. We got a little book on David Bowie. (laughs) I've never read a book about David Bowie to a one-year-old before was phenomenal. It just talked about he, how he was different and he grew up knowing he was different and he learned to sing and he could express himself. And, and as a singer and, and being famous, he could dress the way he wanted and, and be who he was. And I thought that's, you know, I grew up with Elton John who was ridiculed and teased for his costumes because 
our parents didn't know how to handle bisexuality or gender non-binary or gender neutrality. And I'm sorry if I'm saying it wrong. Terminology changes in all of these things so much. I feel like I just master it and it changes. But at any rate, I just want Jack to be comfortable with his world and that, that to realize that he should judge. Well, he shouldn't judge at all, but if he does, he should judge on kindness and somebody's personality, not on who they sleep with or how they dress, you know, that sort of thing. So these are all things. And again, I, that's what I wanted for Gracie and Molly. But I notice now in the literature that I share with Jack and what we watch on TV, there are certain shows I just won't watch. And I'm not going to name any specifically until I do a bit more research on the backstory behind the shows. But there are things that I, that I don't want Jack to assume to be true. One of which is the role that women play. When I think about toys, Jack will not just have a tool set. He'll also have a kitchen set. Some of the best chefs in the world are men. Why don't baby boys get to have kitchens to play with in their toy rooms? You know, I really want Jack to be able to choose and have experience with everything that he wants to play with so that he isn't just, you know, narrowed into what I think he should be. You know, everyone would ask, would ask me, are Gracie and Molly going to run? And I'm like, if they want to. But I do notice a lot of families have their kids do what they did. Again, there's nothing wrong with it. If you're an outdoorsy family, you're going to take your kids outdoors. Your kids are going to grow up to be outdoorsy. Some of those themes are what they are and they make good sense. But I do want Jack to always feel that he has the right to choose something that maybe isn't the way that it's always been done in our family. I don't know if that makes sense or not. So I, I really think I'm going to wrap up here as I'm sitting with my throbbing foot in my Ukrainian flag cast longing for the day when it comes off and loving the fact that it's spring and the days are longer and looking forward to getting outside with Jack and getting him swim lessons. That's another thing I think that's different. We didn't have a pool when Gracie and Molly were babies. I think it's important for Jack to have actual infant little kids swim lessons. That's something that will be different with Jack than it was with Molly. But in terms of me, you know, I still, I still don't have the best language. Jack has seen me angry, sees me frustrated. He loves me and knows that, that I'm there for him. Co-sleeping with a baby when you're wearing a cast is tricky because I have to keep my foot up elevated and it makes moving around and navigating nighttime a little tricky. And both of us are struggling a little bit, but nothing that isn't manageable and wonderful and nothing that at the end of the day, I'm not grateful for. You know, I just feel incredibly lucky. Pros and cons in a nutshell to wrap up this podcast episode. I think all the technology and the speed with which we can get restaurants to eat at and questions answered and, you know, journeys planned is wonderful because we can then experience a whole lot more. The downside to that is we take away the need to work hard to do it. So much of life is the work and not just the outcome. It can be very easy with a push of a button to have your question answered. You, you sort of expect everything to happen that quickly. That would be my big concern for Jack around the technology is that there is so much to learn in the process that we're eliminating the need for a lot of the process. As I end, I hope that if you watched the marathon, you enjoyed it. It's May now, so I hope it's really, really good weather. As you're listening to this episode, it's what I call death week. It's the week that Molly was on life support and we were up at Dartmouth going through that horrific beginning of the rest of our lives. As always, make sure, especially this week in honor of Molly, that you're nice to yourself and you're nice to others and keep listening. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening and for supporting A Thousand Tiny Steps. I hope you enjoyed the episode and will continue to listen. Feel free to leave a review and share my stories with your friends. Also, please reach out if you have stories to share. I love hearing from and connecting with my listeners. If you would like to know what I'll be talking about down the road, 
can find me on Instagram at barb underscore 444, on Facebook as Barb Higgins, and at my website, www.1000tinysteps.com.